Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. It's Julie Henricus, the Executive Director of Sisters in Crime, and I am delighted to welcome Sujata Masi to the podcast today. Sujata is the author of 15 novels, most of them mysteries. Starting with The Widows of Malabar Hill, the three books in this historical feminist series set in 1920s India have won the Agatha, McCavity, Lefty, and Mary Hickens Clark's awards, and been finalists for the Seamus and Harper Lee Legal Fiction Awards. Her earlier mystery series featuring amateur sleuth Rei Shimura is set in modern Japan. Sujata is a graduate of Johns Hopkins University and is a former reporter for the Baltimore Evening Sun newspaper. She lives in Baltimore with her family and travels to Asia to research her books. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Julie. I'm really happy to be here. Well, I'm really uh, very excited about having this conversation with you. You've had such an a wonderful career. You write such interesting books in the historical fiction and, you know, that what that's like, you know, trying to recapture 1920s India and everything else. But I'm going to start at the beginning because before I start fangirling about your writing um, and ask you, when did you say to yourself, I want to write a novel? Oh, gosh, I think it was seventh grade. (laughs) Um, You know, like a lot of us, I was a passionate reader, and Mm -hmm. I read everything, and I was a miserable seventh grader. And so I just, uh, you know, I spent my time alone after school, and I just started handwriting on line sheets of paper, a a novel, you know. And when I look back on it, it was like those teen novels that were so popular in the 70s. And really, actually, there were some really good teen novels written in the 50s onward. Um, So, you know, that's how I sort of channeled, you know, my dreams. And so I I worked on that book. And then I went and um, in ninth grade, I was writing another one. Um, So I did quite a bit of writing while I was in high school, though I never thought I would be a novelist. I just did it for, for my heart, you know, for my sanity. So was it like journaling, but, but in fiction, it was, it, or what, you know, what, what drove you to write these stories? I, I find that so interesting. I wanted a happier outcome for myself. So yeah. I wrote novels where there was a, you know, a young woman that didn't look like everybody else that didn't have a lot of friends and, and she was having happy outcomes. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, this was, I was growing up in St. Paul, Minnesota, in the suburbs. And it was a really, really difficult place to be an immigrant kid at that time. Yeah. It's a lot more diverse now. So the writing and reading was a big escape for me. 
And were you always drawn to crime fiction? I mean, were these, what you said there were teen novels, but were, were there mystery elements or tell me about your journey with crime fiction? Okay. So they, these were actually, these were pretty romantic and, you know, cause what else is on your mind when you're 13, 14, exactly. 15 years old? Um, yeah. but I had, I, I had been reading crime fiction as a child. You know, I read a lot of series that were meant for children that were written, by British authors, you know, like Enid Blyton. And then of course I read, um, you know, the Carolyn Keene books about Nancy Drew. And I read, um, the classics like Agatha Christie and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. But my real interest in mystery fiction began after I, I had finished college and it was, oh, I, it, I was writing in the, um, I guess reading a lot in the late 1980s, early 1990s. And that was the birth of the Sue Grafton series mm-hmm. about Kinsey Milhone. And all of a sudden we were starting to have mysteries about women by women that were very different from, you know, the, the classic sort of PI novel. Yeah, absolutely. And when you because I remember that era very well and how what a difference it made to, to be able to read, you know, Linda Barnes, Sarah Paretsky, I mean, you know, all of those novels which which centered around uh, a strong female protagonist. But getting getting there, did you take writing classes, creative writing classes in, in college and high school? Or how did you, how, because you were a reporter and that's a different kind of writing. So, you know, um, what about, how did you sort of build your creative writing chops? Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> I, I left Minnesota to go to college in Maryland. And um, by the time I was a sophomore, I realized that the classes in literature and creative writing were the ones that I was getting A's in. And it was like no effort. It was just easy. It was like, just, it was just like rolling, rolling off a couch, you know, it was very easy. Um, so I thought, you know, why am I trying to be an economics major? Why am I trying to be an international (laughs) relations major? This is really what I meant to do. So I switched over to studying, um, writing and in fact, mm-hmm. I even transferred colleges. I had started at a at a women's college called a Goucher, which is now co-ed and actually has a very strong writing program for undergrads now. But I, Johns Hopkins was nearby and they had a special program called the Writing Seminars that was mm. a graduate school program for literary fiction. However, they taught those classes to undergrads as well. Um, so we, you know, had classes with really fabulous professors like the literary novelist, um, John Barth, and we had Martha Grimes come and teach detective fiction. So I think Martha Grimes class was very influential for me, um, because she, not only was she a fantastic dynamic teacher, but she presented such a different form of writing than we were getting in the literary Mm -hmm. fiction classes. And she also showed us that she was this woman who was making a living with her writing and she traveled and, you know, she was, she was very much in control of what she wanted to do. I thought she was a really admirable person. 
Um, I graduated from Hopkins and I still thought I was very far from having the skills to be able to be a junior Martha Grimes. So I went to, um, I was very, very lucky to go to work at the Baltimore Evening Sun newspaper. And I love journalism and I, I probably thought, oh, I'll just be a journalist forever. Um, but it happened that five years into the journalism career, which was going great, I was a features reporter. Um, I, I got married and I moved to Japan. My husband was in the Navy at the time. And all of a sudden we had like a modest living allowance and our, our, you know, from the government. And we lived in a Japanese house um, out in the real neighborhood off base. And so I thought, well, I'm going to just try to take advantage of this time and mm-hmm. write and see, see if I can write that novel that goes in the drawer. You know, like yeah. I, I, had, yeah. I knew, oh, yes, yeah, so you've got to write a bunch of novels and they're going to go in the drawer. Um, be, and each time you, you're going to get better. So I that that's what my venture into fiction was. And so that started in probably 1992. I started trying to write this novel and I wound up submitting the a portion of that novel in 1995 to the Malice Domestic Unpublished Writers Grant. Oh, but there were yeah. you were asking me about classes. I did take night classes. I wouldn't have been able to finish that um, book if I hadn't taken night classes, which I did when we returned from Japan to Baltimore. And in fact, I took a detective fiction writing class from a Sisters in Crime member, Louise Titchener, who was mostly published in the 1990s. And she recommended I join Sisters in Crime and go to the Malice Domestic Convention. And once I had those two things in place, I really felt like I was guided all along the way. So you've been a member of Sisters in Crime uh, for a long time, but you, but you, you know, Malice Domestic. What this is their thirty fifth year? Am I, I right on? Yeah, that? I think it is the thirty fifth. Um, 30, I think they're calling it 35-36 because there was a missed convention last yeah, year. Of, um, yeah. So it's like two two conventions in one. <laughs> um, but that that uh, uh, prize for unpublished novels uh, is continues to be a big deal. But that was Ruth Cabin uh, oversaw no, that. Back no, there's then. no, there's two different no? things. Okay. Okay, so right. there is a there is a Martin's um, Saint Martin's slash Malice right, right. Um, unpublished manuscript contest. The winner of that contest gets published by Saint Martin's. I did not enter that, and actually, at the time, Saint Martin's was not really publishing much international fiction anyway. What I won was a. Uh, $500 grant that I could use that was the, the readership was the malice board. And so mm-hmm. it was a group of volunteers that really knew mystery and they were, they were, you know, they were fans, but committed fans. Yeah. And so my novel was selected for that grant and you're given the grant so that you can do things like go to conferences, maybe go to New York, do, mm-hmm. do you know? Do the kinds of things you ne- you need to do that are so expensive when you're trying to break into publishing. 
But the good news is once you win a contest like that or, you know, any other kind of contest, like, for example, the Eleanor Taylor Bland, you know, which Sisters in Crime is sponsoring, um, you can more easily find an agent because you can say this this manuscript won this award. Um, And so it was quite easy to get my um, my manuscript read by agents and the publishing journey was very, very quick um, from the time my agent sent it out. I don't know if it's if it could possibly be as quick um, today, but you know that it was the 1990s, and it was a time that people were interested in um, amateur sleuth mysteries written by women. And did you uh, you had said a little uh, while ago that this was you were working on the draw novel. You were working on the novel that taught you how to write a novel. And that's the one that you submitted to the award and that won. Yeah, it was. Um, Now, I had revised it many, many times. I'm sure. Yeah, I I had (laughs) friends who I had. I have a good friend. Um, who reviewed mysteries for the newspaper. She was one of my college slash newspaper friends, Sue Trowbridge, who actually is a big figure in our mystery field because she does a lot of author websites now. Yeah, I remember yes. she read it. I gave it to some friends who had read, had done slush pile reading in New York. I asked them their advice and uh, they told me to cut it a lot to make it that it was too long. And I was like, what do you mean a 600 page first novel? You know, that isn't normal. So <laughs> they helped me, they helped me, you know, make that very difficult cut. So I did, I probably edited for two years before I um, submitted it yeah. for the Malice Grant. Yeah. It's still remarkable though. And and so was this the beginning of your first series? Yeah, that was the beginning of the Ray Shimura series. And that's a series about a young Asian American woman who lives in modern Tokyo, I guess 1990s Tokyo, and she solves crimes that um, relate to Japanese culture. Like for example, it'll be a mystery set in the cooking world, the flower arranging world, the antiques world. Anything I wanted to learn about, I thought that was, you know, game for a mystery. Yeah, yeah. And so that's, and you'd live there, so you had this um, direct experience, Was you, and, and you started to write it there. What, were you really inspired by where you were, or did you just think, well, I'm learning how to write a novel, let me do the research, you know, let me start where I am. I mean, what, what was the germ that started that? that first novel? I think it was being a journalist and wanting to write about the place where I was. I had done a little bit of travel writing in my um, work at the Evening Sun, and those were always my favorite stories. And um, I I wanted to bring alive this country I was seeing that I had, it was so different from what I expected it to be. And I had Mm. such an interesting experience there as an Asian American woman, I was not Japanese, but I was not treated like a white person either. So it was a very interesting experience. There were jobs I couldn't get because of my color, but there was also uh-huh. um, an inclusion at other times that I got because of, because of being an Asian. Um, I was treated wow. more like somebody that they believed had come to live there rather than, you know, like a transient um, military wife. 
And I was also very interested in the impact of the military in Japan, having been there so long. What does that do to the country? And I'm very, very interested in uh, relationships between um, kind of like dominant cultures, say a a colonizing culture and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, an Asian culture. And if you look at my own background, you know, I was born in England. My dad is from India. My mom is from Germany. So my whole life has been about these people that get together against all the odds, and then they have to negotiate both worlds, or in my case, it was four worlds, you know, because it was, it was India, Germany, Britain, and then the United States. Um, So, (laughs) you know, that's just an interesting question. Like you can mine it forever. Yeah. And then being the you know, spouse of somebody in the military is a, is a whole different lens because that's a, a completely different journey for you, you know, as somebody who um, is there, can't work, can't do the same things, left left your job in the, in the States, but is still experiencing and thinking and exploring and, and coming up with stories. Yeah, we actually could work. Like there were all kinds of agreements made that that we could work if we wanted. Mm -hmm. But I thought, what's the most valuable way for me to work? Because I could have ridden that train to do these freelance stories, which might or might not have sold. And I might have made a hundred bucks here or there. Or I could have undertaken this like project of my heart, which I didn't have children. I knew that would be a great time to write because all around me, all the other military wives, they had these small children and they were really struggling. It was hard to enjoy exploring a country when you were dealing mm-hmm. with like, where am I, is there really enough diapers for sale in the commissary? Yes. My kid has a peanut allergy. What am I going to do? You know, all those things yeah. were going on for them. No. I have spoken to a few reporters um, turned mystery writers on this podcast, and I, I, I'm always intrigued. Did you have to unlearn some of your reporting, writing habits or skills um, in order to write fiction? Or, you know, how, how, did, how did that journey go? Because in writing features is a little bit different than, than you know, um, being a court reporter or something, but it's, it's still got you know, journalism has rules, um, and fiction doesn't have the same rules. Um, so did you have to unlearn or rethink things or get rid of some of the habits you had? Yeah. I felt like I was in a straitjacket uh, when I started to write fiction. And the big challenge is when you're a reporter, you are told over and over again not to inject your personality or your opinion into your writing. So when I started to write, I would write, you know, dialogue and I would know what my character was feeling, but the people who read it, like my editor would say, I have no idea how she's feeling. And I thought, oh my gosh, I have to, I have to do that. And so one of the ways that I managed to make the transition is is I chose to write in first person. Because when you write in first person, you really are led to express feelings. Like you have a chill, you know, to be very cliched. Like a chill goes down your spine or 
you feel um, a tightness in your chest or, um, you know, things like that happen. So it's it was a really good um, way to break in. I don't think I would have made it if I had tried to write in third person right away. Did you find that writing in first person after a while confined you or, or was it just so natural for that series? Or, you know, how did you start exploring other other ways of, uh, of writing fiction. Okay. So for that first book, <laughs> so the, for the first book, writing in the first person just felt right. And furthermore, I was, I, I had a very limited ability with my author voice in the beginning. I was learning, I was writing yeah. a modern 20 something woman living in that time period. So the voice was very natural. It was mine. Now I'm writing a historical series, which is set in 1920s India. I worry that if I were to write in the first person voice, it would not feel authentic for that time period. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. um, and I, I would observe things that, that perhaps that person wouldn't have observed. So I prefer to write it in the third person. And of course I have to show how the character's feeling. Um, but I, I think that works better for the second series. You know, historical fiction uh, intrigues me. Uh, and it's so hard to do. And obviously you are doing it very well uh, because of the amount of research you need to do and the expectations of the reader of your your being accurate and and giving them a world uh and access to a world that they may not know about but they may know enough about to say oh that word wasn't used or whatever else was that um was that is that a fun challenge for you is that uh, you know, that research and that amount of work that you have in that world building, or, you know, I'm sure it must be fun because you're doing it, but, but you, you didn't make it easy for yourself. 1920s, India, <laughs> mysteries. It's like, you, you've got a lot of, a lot of parts of that that are, are challenging. Yeah. I had a little bit of a start because I wrote a standalone novel, which was set from the in the thirties and forties. So I, in the course of doing that book, which is called the sleeping dictionary, I collected a lot of research. And one of the big things I remembered from doing that research is that there were women lawyers in India at a very early time period, actually starting since the 1890s, there was one. And then in the 1920s, we know a second one joined her. And, um, as far as I know, those were the two, but I was so glad that I had that information already. So I didn't feel like I was starting from scratch. I, I love doing that research. I read a lot of scholarly books, uh, mm-hmm. about, um, different aspects of Indian women's history or about the city. I collect old maps. I enjoy going to India and, tooling around. Uh, I wound up choosing a city for this series that has excellent historic preservation. It's the city of Mumbai. Um, In my Mm -hmm. books, it's called Bombay, which is um, what the British called it. 
So all those things make it a little bit easier to build the world. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's so impressive. And so and again, historical fiction, historical mysteries, mystery readers and historical fiction readers. And then there's an intersection of the two. I mean, it's uh, the readership is very strong for historical um, mysteries. So um, it's an exciting it's an exciting thing to explore. Uh, what as a writer, fiction writer, what do you wish you'd known earlier? Oh, gosh, um, I, I wish I'd known that you will get better. You will always get better. It's just a matter of doing the writing. Um, I was surprised that my second book and my third book were as hard to write as they were. I thought once I did the first book, the rest was all going to come easily. And I'd be just like those smiling ladies at the conventions who had, you know, 20 books (laughs) under their belt. But every book is very hard for me. Um, and I think the reason it's it gets hard for me is my standards improve. That mm-hmm. it's not about getting the work done. It's about creating something really um, beautiful or very um, exciting or very suspenseful. And you, the more one reads and the more one works at it, the higher the bar goes. Mm -hmm. Do you, what's your process like for a book? Do you start with, well, I'm not even going to feed it. What's Mm -hmm. what's your process like? How do you start a, how do you start, I mean, a series and, or a book? How do you, how how does it start? Mm -hmm. Well, usually when a person starts a series, you write the whole book and, um, and an agent takes you on and an editor loves it and says, start writing a second one while we work on this. And I'd like to see a proposal for it. Um, sometimes a series can be sold on a proposal, which is what happened with the Perveen mystery series. So I had that experience of writing a book, knowing it was going to be published, um, which was a very great feeling. Um, what I do, I'm right now I'm in this exact stage of starting a new book. Um, I finished some edits on a book that I turned in, and right now it's with my editor who's doing her work with it. I'm going to get it back, but I'm using this time to research a new book without traveling, unfortunately, um, from my mm-hmm. sunroom where I'm talking to you right now. So I'm doing a lot of reading. Um, I'm starting to uh, consider uh, who I'm going to telephone to ask for more information. But based on what I'm reading, I'm getting inspired about ideas for my plot. And I'm going to write an outline. And it's called an outline, but honestly, for a fiction writer, what it is is a synopsis. And I've heard about people that are able to, you know, convince their editor on the basis of a one or two page synopsis. I usually write a longer synopsis and um, my editor gives me feedback and she might say something like, I'm not sure I see enough mystery here early enough or, you Mm -hmm. know, something like that. So that gives me a little bit of a guideline. And then I go, then I start working and I don't show that work to, to 
to anyone until it's done. Like I don't show it to my agent or to my editor until, you know, maybe a second draft and then I'll send it to my agent first and then I'll, you know, send it on to my editor or it sometimes it's crazy situations where they both see it at the same time and I get comments from them both. So <laughs> it usually takes me about a year um, to write a book, maybe a little bit longer. And then the editing process is typically about four months and I may be writing a new book during that time, you know, be involved in the next year's work on that other book. And so they, you can, you know, edit and then you're starting a new, does the overlapping actually help you with your, um, you know, as you're, you just edited, refresh your memory or reframe or, you know, What's the, how do you find your hook on that new book as, you know, does it just come to you or do you just think, I want to talk about this issue. I want to talk about this moment in history. I want to talk about this house Mm -hmm. or whatever. And, you know, how do you, how do you find your way in? Yeah, I have, well, there, there are two ways in. One is the the continuing arc of my character's personal story. I write about a young woman who is separated. She's, she's not divorced. She'd like to be divorced, but the laws don't permit it. So she's separated from a husband she married early in an unhappy situation. She lives with her parents. She works as a lawyer. So what's her happiness like? What does that look like with her career goal, a a possible romantic relationship, friendships, relationships inside her family, because in India, you have these extended families where adult children and their their spouses live with the parents. And, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, it's the family story. It's the story of India's fight for independence, which yes. is slowly moving along. And one of the great things about setting my book in 1920s Bombay is that's when, um, Mohandas Gandhi was a lawyer in Bombay gathering steam for the freedom movement. So in the book that I'm writing right now, he is free, but in the book that the next book he's in jail. So, you know, there's that going on. And then of course the, the, the thing that, but what would be most obvious to the reader is, Oh, this is a mystery about staying in a palace in the countryside and what what royal life was like during the British reign. Or this is a mystery about what happens with divorce law and um, Mm -hmm. inheritance law for women. That was the Widows of Malabar Hill. The book that's going to come out next year is a mystery about reproductive rights. I was really interested in what was the situation with birth control, where people... How, what did people do when they when they felt they couldn't carry a pregnancy to term? What did, what happened yeah. with that? Um, and what was the situation with childbirth that half the women or half the babies in Bombay died within a year of birth um, wow. because of the conditions? And mm-hmm. the leading cause of death for women were you know GYN issues and tuberculosis. So it was wow. a those are all things that are, you know, those are the, 
the things that got me interested in, and hopefully people will say, oh, this is this is an interesting mystery because Praveen's gotten tangled up with a group of women who are starting trying to start a maternity hospital. And there are all these questions about, you know, what people can and can't do sexually and how lives yeah. are ruined. Yeah. Well, and 1920s India, but timely for timely for now. It turned out I started this. Yeah, I started this before the Supreme Court changed and everything. Wow. Wow. Well, that's something. So that's going to be out in 2023? Mm -hmm. Spring. That's exciting. Spring 2023. Um, What's your best piece of writing advice and your worst piece uh, that you've gotten? and And or what's the best piece that you give people? You've okay. already told us some. It's like it just that second and third book aren't any easier, which mm-hmm. I think it is so important for people to hear. It's not it's not mm-hmm. you, it's the process. Um, but talk about writing advice. Yeah, well, this kind of delves into the idea of writer's block because I get asked a lot about writer's block and whether there are any tricks to get over it. And I think that um, writer's block is, is a situation where you're, for me, where I'm, where I'm anxious, I'm too anxious to work. And, mm-hmm. um, what work, what really helps me is a type of therapy, right? And there, I don't think that there really are therapists that are writing therapists, but there's some really excellent books that are that can kind of bring you along and talk about these issues that are by writers. And one of the books that helped me in the past was Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Mm-hmm. Um, another book that helped me was The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron that got me involved in journaling. Sometimes when I have difficulty writing, I like to journal. And mm-hmm. I could journal ideas about my writing or just journal about everything. And then the one that's really good is the Seven Steps on the Writer's Path by our own sister in crime, Nancy Picard, who co-wrote the book with a therapist writer friend of hers called Lynn Lott. And I really read that book cover to cover during the writing of this most recent book when I was stalled. And I I actually had a couple of really hard months and then things released for me. So don't be afraid to give yourself time when you need time, yeah. but you can use it creatively. Like, And if you use it by reading what writers who wrestled with these ideas have to say and what helped for them, you might find something that works for you. Oh, that's wonderful advice. And I'm going to put all three of these books in the show notes so that people can find them. Um, I didn't, I don't, haven't read the Nancy Picard book and I will, I will add that to my list. I think we Um, might have a Sisters in Crime webinar with her um, on this topic, um, like uh, maybe within the last year. Okay. I will, I will look for that um, Mm -hmm. for sure, because um, boy, that's a, a, an important topic. Uh, And I love the idea of journaling your way through writer's block. I mean, either through the book itself or through whatever, but just keep trying to write. I mean, keep, keep going. Yeah. 
if you are are talking to people about writer's block and struggling, you know, when you've you've had a career like yours, people might not always believe that. And I think it's very generous of so many writers to share the it's not always hard. It's not always, you know, it's not, it's, it's, sorry, it's not always easy. It doesn't come easily, but, um, you've been doing this for a while. Where, what's the joy? What, why do you keep writing? I, you know, the, the books that can be hard or challenging or, or, you know, the work is, is, is hard. So, so, so what's the joy you get in your writing? Well, I, I love having written. <laughs> I don't usually enjoy the writing process. I love the idea and brainstorming process. I actually really, really have so much enjoyment. You know, today I was just sitting on my floor looking at my vintage map of Bombay and trying to look at a map in another book and put places together. And I love doing that. And I love having the power to like write lines in a book that I'm researching from because I own that book. Um, (laughs) I love visiting rare libraries. So, so that's a lot of joy. And then um, having the successful project come to an end is great. The stuff in the middle is hard. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, it is. Do you prefer that first draft takes you a while? Do you like prefer editing or first draft, or is it that whole process that's just you? You you know, you you get through it. Oh, I greatly prefer editing, and I write, you know, bad first drafts and sloppy first drafts, and I've learned that I have to just keep on going rather than you know succumb to perfectionism because perfectionist books are never finished. Right. Right. And do you write by hand at all or or type, you know, on the computer or, or what, how do you, how do you do all this? Well, I do note taking often by hand um, when I'm reading. I don't like to be doing those two. I don't like to be digital when I'm reading a book, but I do write on a laptop and I just, you know, write, I open a word document. Um, I've tried some of the fancy things like Scrivener and there was just too much on the screen for me. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I was like, oh yeah, I could do a composed view, but it was just, it was too much. And I did do one book like that. Um, actually I did my first, the, I did the widows of Malabar Hill that way. So, I mean, you could say it worked, but, um, it's, it's less effort. The less I'm distracted, the easier it is for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's good for all of us if you're less distracted so you can, can get the books written. Um, you mentioned, uh, going to a conference in early on, uh, Malice Domestic and joining Sisters in Crime around the same time. Um, writers tend to think that writing is such a solitary act, but community is such an important part of, of our worlds and our, our process. What has community meant to you and your writing journey? Well, it's meant going to a lot of book clubs. And uh, in the beginning, they were always in person and sometimes they were uncomfortable. Um, you know, not everybody likes your book and um, now they're all virtual. And so I'm able to visit book clubs in different parts of the world and, um, Wow. That, yeah. So that's been great. Um, I, 
I really enjoy that very much. Sometimes they're hosted by bookstores or publishers, but very often they're in people's homes and and, and a lot of people are coming in from Zoom. So yeah. I, I love that experience. Um, so that's how I get a lot of community during the pandemic. Yeah. Yes. It's been hard um, not being able to see people or go to a conference and catch up in person because it's, it's just a different, uh, it's different. And hopefully that will change. We'll all be able to see each other in 3D at some point soon. But, I hope so. Um, yeah. So book clubs are, do you, you know, offer questions or do people reach out to you or, you know, do you give a talk or how do you, how do you deal with your book club? Because I would imagine you, you probably get a lot of questions about, you know, the books and the, your process and everything else. Yeah. I usually start by talking a little bit about what I think they're going to want to know. Why, do you write these books or how did you get the idea for this? And then, you know, the questions come, whatever they want to ask about and their comments. And it, it's very, you know, it, it's, you never know what you're going to get. Um, but I'm, I'm so grateful to the participants for having read the book and yeah. it's, and sharing themselves because Usually in a book club, people can, they can be pretty, um, you know, honest about whether they didn't care for something or not. And I think that in these Zoom book club experiences, no one has been like outright rude. You know, they might say, hey, I didn't get this. Or did you think of doing it the other way? Or the information I had was such. And so I think we've actually learned how to be more effective in talking to each other without putting people off because of mm-hmm. Zoom. Like Zoom has taught us how to share with other people in a more reasonable manner. Mm-hmm. That's that's a really interesting point. And that conversation about criticism is is an important conversation to have, uh, you know, because not everyone, I have a friend who used to say, if everyone thought the same way, we'd only have one color refrigerator. <laughs> and it's true. You know, people don't have to like what you like, but, but they can be, um, but the conversation needs to be productive. It can't, it, it, you know, I don't like it, therefore it's not good is not a conversation. Yeah, I I would agree with you. I mean, and I don't like, I mean, talking about my kids, like I wouldn't have wanted them to speak to me that way either about something like, what is it about um, spinach you don't like? (laughs) Get them down, get them down to, to, then they, then they have no argument left anymore. (laughs) That does, that does, uh, that does settle things down (laughs) quite a bit. Let's, let's really drill down on this. Um, well, I uh, loved having this conversation with you about writing and publishing. And, you know, you've uh, 15 books over 30 years. I mean, it's that's quite the... Um, oh, quite it's the, 25. 25, sorry, <laughs> 25. That's quite, the, that's quite the journey. That's an exciting thing. I mean, do you, you know, do you ever, do you think this is a lifelong pursuit or do you, you know, do you ever worry about running out of ideas or, or steam or, you know, do you aspire to be like so many others and just keep going till 
till you don't. Well, I want to keep going as long as I'm enjoying it. And yep. I see nothing wrong with um, scaling back if it feels like it's right. too much work. Like I remember our beloved Margaret Marin said, I'm writing short stories now, you know, yes. toward the end of her life. She decided that she was going to write short stories and she continued to mentor people. Um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if I did something like that. I would only want to continue my series if it felt very exciting um, mm-hmm. to me and if I was getting that kind of response from readership. But yeah. I think that there are many ways to be creative as a writer. And I I'm also certainly. think it's good for, I think it is good for the brain to keep having this kind of work as you get older. Yeah. yeah. Do you ever think about, do you have any other series that are knocking on your imagination or are you very, you're in your world right now of 1920s India and you're going to stay there? Uh, you know, I do have like, a, I do have an idea um, for something else that I'm just kind of keeping it in my back pocket and yeah. something not set in Asia, um, but closer to home. But I, you know, I don't know when I, I will do it because it's important to me not to feel rushed because yes. I have felt rushed for many years in my career, especially mm-hmm. in my first series where I really had to have a book out every single year. And so yeah. that shortened the amount of time that I could edit and dream and, you know, it just shortened things. Um, so I'm not in that position now that, um, the publisher I have now, um, Soho Press, is more relaxed about publishing schedule. But and I don't like you know, and I like having the right amount of time to make the book as good as possible. Yeah, yeah I loved what you said earlier about the leveling up and and really aspiring to do to be a better writer with every book. I think that's incredibly important um, for for people to hear as well. Yeah. Thank you so much for this great conversation and, and the inspiring words and, and for your work. I appreciate it so much, Julie, and what you've done for Sisters in Crime and the, the way that we can be in touch with each other, not in person. Like the, the whole birth of this podcast and the webinars is spreading sort of all the wisdom and encouragement that we used to have to get in person. And now yeah. it can go to people who, who can't make it to a meeting, maybe not just because of the pandemic, but because for some other reason. So it's, yes. it's really a, just a, it's a wonderful service to the world. Yeah, well, thank you very much. And, and I'll tell you, you know, it's a great privilege for me to work with this organization, but it's members like you who've been there for a long time and supported it and worked with chapters and done a lot of um, parts of the community that it's just, uh, it's a wonderful community. So um, I'm, I'm very blessed to be part of it. Thank you again. Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. 
We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international, inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast.